Our Bible reading today is from Philippians 3, 1 to 14. And for those using the church Bibles, it's on page 1180. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I may consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I just say that my last year at high school, many years ago, we got a new principal and he came and visited our what was called Crusader class in those days and that was the the verse he quoted to us. Didn't know he was a Christian at the time but that was the, the verse he quoted to us and it's been a very special one for me ever since. Amen. Well, obviously it's the start of a new year, isn't it? Uh, it's now the, I was about to say it's the 4th, no, it's the 5th of January, uh, and New Year's are times for New Year resolutions. And last week we kicked off a series that I've called Foundations for Growing in Grace, and I put the challenge out to you, uh, and if you weren't here, I'll put it out to you now, uh, that uh, I think your number one priority this year should be that you should be able to look back and say, this was a year where I have grown in my relationship with God significantly. The Old Testament uses a wonderful image that gets picked up in the New Testament by some of the writers of the one who grows in God like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season, their leaf doesn't wither, they stand firm, prospering in every situation. But I don't want to tell you to grow in relationship with God because it works, it does, But that's not the primary reason. 
the best reason to grow in relationship with God is because God is God. And uh, a guy called Augustine said about 1,600 years ago, he said this of God, You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God has actually made us for relationship with him. So why do you want to grow in relationship with him? Because it is what you were made for. And this series through January, we are trying to, I am trying to give you uh, help with this process by going back over what are the key foundations for us and our growth in God. And uh, we're going to explore, uh, as we saw last week, who God is, his holiness and our sinfulness. We're going to explore his gospel and some of its implications. And today we are exploring foundation number one. And I've called this sermon, You Are Accepted. As a foundation for growth, this truth is incredibly powerful. You are accepted. If I was going to put on my theological boffin hat uh, and pull out the textbook definition of what we are going to be talking about, it's called justification by faith alone. But at the heart of it, justification means God's answer for how we are accepted before him. We've got three points this morning. We're going to explore that foundation, number one, justification. We're going to unpack some of its implications. And then we're going to talk about how we craft a well-founded life. So you know where we're going? Uh, There's no notes, uh, but there's lots of room in your handout to write stuff down if you'd like to. Let's, uh, Let's dive in and look at number one. Now we're talking here about justification. You might actually think, well, actually I don't even care about justification. You might be someone who's, who's here this morning and, and you're not yet a Christian. Uh, can I say it's wonderful that you're here. Uh, but you might think, what's justification got to do with me? Can I say that while you may not actually use the term, I think everyone in our society understands the concept. Okay? It's, is your life valid? Is your life worthwhile? Does your life have meaning? Everyone wants a positive answer to that question. Yes? You wouldn't want to get to the end and go, my, my life has been a complete waste of time. Everyone wants to think that their life is valid. That what they do means something. That who they are matters. And our society, and I know we've got people here from around the globe, maybe your societies now, but Western society, we used to do this in a particular way. It used to be that we used to try and fit in with the expectations of what everyone outside us was saying. And so if you're a little bit older this morning, uh, I'll let you draw the line of what that is, Uh, but you possibly had it. Uh, you may have been told that you were going to go into a certain job because that's what the family did. Uh, you were told to seek family honour. Okay, above all things, you were told that you needed to keep the rules. You needed to obey the expectations. 
You didn't want anyone looking down on you. You didn't want anyone condemning you. Maybe you, you know what that's like. Uh, my son studies in a university course uh, that has been traditionally esteemed. And there are families where uh, generation after generation after generation, they are doctors. That's what they do because that's what we do. And do the kids want to do medicine? Possibly not, but that's what we do. We obey the rules. Mum and Dad say, you do it. It's funny how that's shifted. I can give you an example from my own life. Um, I can remember, uh, you know, it used to be traditionally when a, a young man would ask for a young lady's hand in marriage, he would consult the parents first. Yes? Some of you did that, didn't you? You did. You went and you spoke to mum and dad and you asked. I can remember asking Karen's mum and um, she said, so when will you ask? Oh, I've already done it. <laughs> Rather, I'm sort of... Like, you see how things... I didn't even realise that I'd actually broken one of these expectations. It was there. It was real. But it used to be that we used to find our purpose by fulfilling the expectations that were around us. And it didn't really matter what we wanted, but that was there. And some of you know that. Yes, your culture tells you that. Some of us are in a different place. The modern culture, I think, is uh, captured by this great prophet, Elsa. Where is she? Come on, appear on the screen. Joel, you might need to help me here. There she is. Okay. She sang a song, and some of you may know this song. It's a horrible song, can I say? Uh, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Elsa captures the essence of what philosophers would call expressive individualism which is at the heart of our culture currently. No one's going to tell me what I should be doing. I'm going to find my own meaning, my own purpose. I'm going to find my own path. You've heard this, yes, haven't you? It's out there in spades. But the funny thing is, if you think about it, it's a paradox. Where did Elsa get that idea? Where do we get that idea? Our culture tells us that we have to have that idea, doesn't it? If you stand up, remember the Monty Python scene. Uh, I've got to be careful here. The Life of Brian. Some of you may have seen that. I'm not necessarily encouraging you to it. But there's a wonderful scene where Brian is speaking to the masses and he's trying to get them to think for, them, for themselves. Uh, and he says, you've got to think for yourselves. And he's like, and everyone goes like, tell us. Uh, he says, you, you can't let anyone tell you what to do. And they all repeat back. I've forgotten what they answer there. And he says, no, you're all individuals. And they go, yes, we're all individuals in unison. And one guy goes, I'm not. Shh. <laughs> but it's that sort of thing. It used to be that if you had a tattoo, you were a rebel. Now, tattoos, I'm sorry, tattoos are really mainstream and I'm actually the biggest rebel in the world because I don't have any ink in my flesh. Soon, us clean skins are going to be the true rebels, aren't we? <laughs> the wonderful thing, one of my favourite philosophers, a guy called Zygmunt Bauman, he, he captures this. And he says, in a society of individuals, everyone must be an individual. In this respect, at least, members of such of a society are anything but individual. 
They are, on the contrary, strikingly like each other in that they must follow the same life strategy and use shared tokens to convince others that they are doing it. It's really important, he's saying, that you are seen as an individual. And so you've got to be in an individual in a way that I understand it, which is the way that I'm an individual, which means what? In the question of individuality, there is no individual choice. So who's telling you you need to be an individual? You're just following what everyone else is saying. You're just pretending that it's coming from inside. I'm sorry to be too much of a cynic, but you know what? The modern way or the ancient way, the Bible gives us a third way that we find meaning and purpose. We find value, not in obeying the rules from outside, not in obeying the rules from inside, but it is a gift of God by his grace. The Bible tells us there is a God. He is a holy God and he will judge us. And to be acceptable to him, we must be righteous. We actually must be holy. And the one bit of acceptance that actually matters is his acceptance. You might be aware in Sydney at the art gallery, there's a a famous portrait competition called the Archibald Prize. Yes, you're familiar with this? Okay. I recently put together my offering. I I did a, a portrait of my family. Um, and uh, my family thought it was great. My, my, my dad said, Cameron, I think you've done the best picture you've ever done. Can I just say, it's never going to win the Archibald. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. There is one judge that actually matters. The judge panel that actually cast the verdict for the Archibald Prize. It doesn't matter what you know, my kids think. It doesn't matter what my friends think or my cats think. Uh, There is one judge and the Bible tells us there is one acceptance that really matters. It's great to be accepted by your friends. It's great to be accepted by your family. But there is one acceptance that ultimately matters and that is Christ. That that is God's acceptance through Christ. And how does that happen? Paul unpacks that in Philippians 3. He's talking about how not to get right with God to start with. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. See, Paul was arguing about a a bunch of people who thought if you obeyed all the right religious rules, that's his confidence in the flesh, God would accept you. And he says, if anyone thinks that they've got confidence, I've got more. Paul says, he was circumcised on the eighth day as the law required. He was born of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew his descent. It was from the right families. He belonged to the right racial group. He kept the right religious groups, uh, the right religious rules. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. These guys were super strict. He ticked the right boxes. As for zeal, he was so full on, he persecuted and murdered Christians. No one could accuse Paul of not taking his faith seriously. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. No one could point to him and say, ah, but you've missed this rule and you haven't done that. Paul's out there, he says, how do you get accepted by God? It's not by belonging to the right family. It's not by keeping the right rules. 
It's not by being the right gender. We could put other things in there. Whatever we put in, it would probably be something like, I've been a good person, I've helped people, I've done. It's stuff that we build merit. But Paul goes on and he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He considers them garbage. Now, can I be a little bit scandalous here? Um, Garbage is a lame translation of this word. Let me grab something from the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other clearly early Christian literature. I do this because I'm trying to deflect blame away from what I'm just about to say. Uh, The word here that we translate garbage is useless or undesirable material that is subject to disposal. It's refuse, garbage, excrement, manure, kitchen scraps. To convey the crudity of the Greek, it's all crap. Paul says that all the stuff that he thought was a foundation for getting accepted before God is all crap. That's what he says. Literally, this is as close as the Bible gets to swearing. Uh, It's there. Paul is really, really blunt. He says it's nothing. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, let's go back. He says, uh, I consider them crap that I may gain Christ to be found in him not having a righteousness or not being accepted on the basis of my own performance through obedience to the law but one that comes through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith the Bible tells us that if we are going to be accepted by God that it's not on the basis of our family it's not on the basis of our achievements it's not on the basis of our race not on the basis of our gender it's not on any basis that we can look to paul says that's all a load of rubbish a load of crap but god gives us a righteousness he accepts us through christ and we receive that by faith and faith itself isn't a merit gaining thing faith is just empty hands that reach out to be filled the bible tells us that that acceptance is because christ lived and died for us and what happens in the death and resurrection of christ is that he as the perfect man stands in our place and takes our punishment And so our sin goes to him and his perfect performance, because Christ lived the perfect life, his perfect performance comes to us. There is an exchange that goes both ways. For a long time as a Christian, I used to think, uh, Jesus took my sin, yes, but I'd forget the other half, that we get his righteousness. And so on what basis can we be accepted by God? Because Christ's perfect record is ours by faith. It is God's gracious gift.
You might be familiar with the old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages. It says it perfectly. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, ere I die. But the amazing thing, we are accepted because of the perfect, finished work of Christ. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He says, the privileges you might have enjoyed if you had never sinned are yours now that you are justified. All the blessings that you would have had if you had kept the law and more are yours because Christ kept it for you. All the love and the acceptance which perfect obedience could have obtained of God belong to you because Christ was perfectly obedient on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, let that sink in. That is an amazing truth. The writer of the Hebrew says, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We're not going to be turned away. You don't belong here. We do belong there because Christ belongs there and we are in him. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to grow in our relationship, this is the foundation. And we must have it firm. If we don't have the foundation firm, you may end up looking like this. Development in China. They woke up the one morning and lo and behold, the whole unit block had toppled. If you don't have the foundations firm, that can happen. If you try and build on something that is not solid but the acceptance that is ours in christ is totally solid because it depends not on us but on his finished work get that into your heart into your head there is nothing that will be denied us all the love and acceptance which the perfect obedience could have obtained of god belong to you because Christ was perfectly obedient on your behalf that's amazing isn't it utterly amazing let's unpack it that's the doctrine of justification by faith that we are accepted on the basis of Christ's perfect life and death for us in our place that's there what does it mean though I want to give you Three implications. The first thing is, it gives us humility. Because we can't look to our own record and say, I'm better than they are. We should be a community that is known for our humility. We can't look to anything that we might take pride in and say, because I am, fill in the blank, because I am male, because I am female, because I am educated, because I am uh, of a certain profession, because I am young, because I am old, because I am anything. We can't look to that and say, God loves me more than them. It gives us a radical humility. It teaches us 
that we do not stand on our own merit. Because God is a holy judge and we, without Christ, would be justly condemned. Justly condemned. So there is no barriers. There is no boasting. Paul, he says here, he says, we are the ones who boast in Christ Jesus. The only boast a Christian can have is that we know Christ. And better still, that he knows us. That's an incredible thing that is there. It breaks down barriers. There are religions in this world and they are nationalistic. You've got to belong to the right group. Christianity alone, starting in the Middle East, spread throughout Asia, Africa, Europe, America, Latin America, down into Southeast Asia, Australia, it is across every country. Look at every other major religion and it is nationalistically based, substantially anchored in a few places because to belong is to belong to that tribe. Jesus says, every tribe, nation, language, tongue. It breaks down, the gospel breaks down every barrier. It is the ultimate leveller. Someone walks in this morning. They haven't had bath for a few days. I didn't want to say anything, Jeff, but that's okay. Um, But there's nothing that makes me, because my personal hygiene's better, because the way I speak's better, because my education, my wealth, my family's better. No, I'm not accepted on the basis of anything. We stand together on the basis of Christ. It means that we should be the most humble community of them all. What else? Security. A lot of people are radically insecure. They live in relationships, afraid of rejection. And it's horrible being rejected, let me tell you that. They live in marriages trying to keep the other person happy because in case they might leave me. They play games with their friends. But one of the wonderful gifts that comes to us through the doctrine of justification by faith, the declaration that in Christ we are accepted, is a radical security. Because nothing is going to turn us away. Your life could go down the toilet tomorrow. The person you love could walk out. The kids could run away. You could be sacked. Everything could go horribly wrong. And you are not one bit less loved by God, the one whose opinion ultimately matters. You can come up to me. I don't love it when people do this, but I've learned. One of the things about, it was a while as a pastor, I wanted to get a t-shirt that said human piñata. Sorry, I haven't found this congregation quite like that. But you know what that's like. And if you're in leadership, everyone's got an opinion on what you should do. That's there. But you know what? You can criticise me. You can criticise my family. But in Christ, God is not criticising me. He is not going to reject me. And I have a security that actually allows me to listen to what you are saying. 
and not let that shake me to the ground. Some of us, we cop criticism from those around us and it destroys us. And so we live in fear. But in Christ, there is no need for that fear. Maybe it's not criticism from outside that we deflect, but it's the inside. So we just, we just lie to ourselves. I'm really good at doing this with some things, okay? Um, I don't like bathroom scales, okay? Um, they got put away in my family and I've never gone to find them. Uh, I just look at myself and I suck it in a little bit and stand up a little bit straighter and I convince myself that, nah, that belt, the belt shrunk, I reckon. Uh, that's there. But... But we do this, and we do this because we're insecure, but in Christ we are radically secure. And if we live in the acceptance that is ours in him, we can actually confront the fact that we are deeply flawed human beings. There's no need for pretending, there's no need for pretense. We are secure in Christ. If we are going to grow, that is an important thing. What else? Motivation. I don't need to keep the rules to be accepted by God. Does it mean I don't keep the rules? No, not at all. But it means my motivation for keeping the rules is different. I keep the rules because God loved me that much. As Christians, our motivation is not, I will strive so I can be accepted. Our motivation is, I am accepted, so I will strive. Ask yourself, think of the human relationships, the the people that you love. What wouldn't you do for them? Parents, what wouldn't you do for your children? What wouldn't you do for those special people that you love above all? You don't count the cost, you just do it. And that is how God loved us. And when we see that he loves us like that, our whole motivation changes. It doesn't mean grace makes us lazy. I like this quote. This is Dallas Willard. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I work because I'm accepted. I don't work I don't obey, I don't strive, so I might be if I'm good enough. No, in Christ, because he is good enough, I'm accepted. It changes our motivation totally. Brings us to our last point. I've got six points here, they're brief, so don't despair when you see them. Okay, how do we build on this? You've got to know it. Can I say, intellectual knowledge is good, but it's not enough. Christianity is not anti-intellectual. It's good to have a grasp on this doctrine, to actually know. If someone said, so, Fred, what's justification by faith? That you could actually give an answer because you need to know that answer. It's important to know. But remember that our knowledge is fundamentally relational. God doesn't give us a, like a card that says you are justified. We have a father who in Christ has accepted us. We have a judge who because of Christ's perfect record has said you are accepted. 
We need to know it with our heads, but also our hearts. I know someone who had a brain injury. A horrible thing. And when he recovered, there were big gaps in his memory. And he couldn't remember getting married. He knew he was married because he had a wife. But there were massive parts that he was missing. He could look at his finger and see, I've got a wedding ring on. But it's one thing to go, I'm married. It's another thing to say, I know my wife. You see how the relationship works? It's one thing to say in our heads, I am justified. It's another thing to say in our hearts, I am accepted by God. We need to know it. And we need to know him. Paul says in 3 verse 10 in Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. This is the apostle. He wants more. It's not sit back on your laurels. It's not, oh yeah, I know stuff about Jesus. No, I want to know him. I want to know more of him. You need to defend it. Can I say the thing that you need to defend against is you subverting it. This doctrine is key. That we are accepted on the basis of Christ's perfect work. But we want to smuggle all our efforts in. We want to feel good about our Christian life because I read my Bible this morning and prayed. You know that thing, Cameron, that 3-7 thing that you've got us doing? I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm serving it. We, we smuggle works in. We've got to defend it against ourselves. Look for where you are proud. I'm a good Christian. Look for where you pump yourself up with your works and not the perfect work of Christ. Look for where you despair. Look for the things that make you doubt that you are even a Christian. Because that's telling you what you're looking at. We need to defend it from others, yes, but I think the main people we need to defend it from is our own hearts. And we do that by preaching it, and not preaching it to everyone else, but preaching it to our own hearts. First to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English pastor and preacher, he said this, he says, Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. How true is that? That little voice that goes round and round in your head and says, you're rubbish, you're worthless, I can't believe anyone would like you. Spinning all sorts of things or pumping you up on the basis of the wrong stuff. You've got to preach this doctrine to yourself. I love Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? The psalmist talks to himself, interrogates himself. Maybe we should say, why are you downcast? Christ died for you. You're accepted on the basis of his work. Maybe we need to preach more and listen less. We need to do that to each other. Colossians 3 tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's within the community as we speak, as we sing, as we pray. We rejoice in it. 
God's grace should bring us back to praise. It should bring us to worship. It should bring us to thanks. And not only should we rejoice in it, but we should rest in it. Because this is a foundation upon which we can rest. We don't need to earn it. It has been given to us freely. It's what Jesus called the easy yoke. It's the delight of Romans 8 that says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is God who justifies. It is God who accepts. Who then can condemn? What does Paul say, if you remember? No one. Brothers and sisters, grow in his grace on the foundation that is ours in Christ, that by the work of Christ, you are accepted. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing truth. I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, Lord, that you would found our hearts on the love that you have poured out for us in Christ. That by your spirit you would direct us away from the lies that ourselves tell us, that our world tells us, and to the acceptance and the love and the security that is ours in Christ. Father, I pray for any here who, who don't yet know that, that they may come to know what is freely offered to them, that they might come to receive through faith the wonderful acceptance that is offered in Christ. And we pray this in his most precious name. Amen.